MSW Media. News was wearing Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 22nd, 2020. Today, Governor Newsom issues a mandatory mask order for California. The Air Force is investigating whether military planes spied on protesters. Sheriff's deputy shot and killed the half-brother of Robert Fuller, who was found hanging from a tree last week in Southern California. Amy Klobuchar withdraws her name for VP consideration, saying the job should go to a woman of color. Kentucky braces for massive voting issues on Tuesday. A less redacted Mueller report has been released in a FOIA case. Nadler invites Berman to testify after After a 24-hour standoff in the Southern District of New York, Georgia nurses file a lawsuit against a hospital in Athens for manipulating COVID data. The Trump administration suspends work visas, and Trump's Tulsa rally is a flop. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Good. Enlivened by everything still, and uh, I am doing... I'm doing well. I was feeling kind of shitty yesterday, and it kind of like freaked me out because I've been out and about and stuff. But uh, I'm feeling better today, so I, I think it was just I think it was just allergies and stuff. But how are you? I'm good. Uh, uh, this weekend was pretty good for news. Um, we had a lot of Schadenfreude. Um, of course, Friday was fun with our um, happy hour crowdcast thing that we do our live stream meet and greet q a thing i still i really should come up with a a good name for it but i just don't have one um so that was a lot of fun so i'm, I'm glad that uh, we got to see you then mm-hmm. me too i love this and and uh this week's theme we, are, we have a couple of ideas already somebody suggested animal crossing for this coming friday's mm-hmm. theme uh we take whatever recommendations you are into just send them to us via twitter dm email contact uh you can contact us using our contact link on our website which is the dailybeanspod.com uh or mullersherote.com or quarantineconfessionspod.com they all go to the same place our mission control, as it were. So uh, we're looking forward to this Friday. That starts at 4 Pacific for patrons. And we open it up to the public uh, at 5 Pacific time um, on Friday. And uh, if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash, I think, The Daily Beans. Uh, and you'll be able to become a patron for as little as 3 bucks a month. Or sponsor a patron who can't quite afford it right now because of what's going on with COVID. We've got some really great ways to kind of work around that if you if you can't quite swing it right now and a lot of people are in that position and we want to be able to, to you know to offer some of our bonus content uh to to folks who who might not be able or up to affording uh, a subscription but you know we still do have some exclusive stuff just for patrons so check it out um and you know maybe we can uh, hook you up with a, a sponsor, like a patron sponsor. We're we're sort of working the details out, but um, so far so good. And um, but man, this weekend was jam packed with uh, interesting and hilarious news. We're going to get to it all. We have an interview later uh, in the show with uh, Harry Lippman is joining us again, uh, and he just did an hour long deep dive into the Berman Bar standoff in the Southern District of New York on his podcast called the Talking Feds Pod. 
um, with some of our past guests, Matthew Miller, Barb McQuaid. So it's just a, a great show. But he'll be joining us later to, to talk about uh, that standoff and, and uh, you know, just all sorts of new obstructions of justice that, you know, we never could have imagined. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's happening. I haven't listened to that episode yet. I'm going to listen to that as soon as we're done recording. Yeah, it's really, really good. And uh, I think that people will uh, learn a lot about old Office of Legal Counsel memos about who can fire U.S. attorneys and, and uh, you know, laws that say who can do what. Uh, and so it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on that story. But uh, without further ado, we have tons of news to get to. And then, of course, news from under the radar after that. So why don't we kick it off with Hot Notes? Hot Notes. All right, Jordan, what do you have for us today? Uh, so first, I'm just going to cover some of the things that went on this past weekend uh, that are still going on right now as we record on Sunday. So this weekend marked uh, the, the three days. There were actions, direct actions centered around Juneteenth. So this is a celebration of the day that the news was actually delivered uh, to Galveston, Texas of the emancipation of slaves it's, it was the emancipation proclamation came long before juneteenth happened but this is the day that it is being uh, that it is celebrated in the black community and um all over there's more and more calls to make juneteenth a national holiday and i think that we're gonna see that happen there's certain companies i think it was nike that already said they're they're counting juneteenth mm-hmm. as a national holiday and there's just so much yep. more visibility around this this year more so now than ever um there's you know I didn't know. I didn't even know about this date and this, that history. Yeah, dude, I was not taught this shit in school, were you? I was not taught about Juneteenth. I was not taught about Tulsa, uh, Black Wall Street. I was not taught about Axe Handle Saturday. Uh, I didn't learn any of that. We we learned, uh, at least where I went to school, we learned that the Civil War was fought over states' rights. I mean, I've since, you know, realized that that's not the case. But the the whitewashing of of history in our schools is is it's publicly funded and as the public we should be demanding what is taught and that the history is correct and and i i, I really i'm i'm really adamant about that and i know that a lot of teachers that are friends with you and me jordan are also pushing for this and it's now is now is the time of course many many years ago was the time but you know i think the success uh i think that we have a really great chance of success to push those lessons because I had no idea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about it. Yeah. And that's sad. That's really fucked up. It is. It's really fucked up. And I, I have a few friends now that are teachers and they're educators across the United States and they do such amazing work to take it on themselves to give their students history that they're not getting via the curriculum. And that's that's something that teachers, you know, hopefully can continue to do i know that teachers get penalized for that too especially when there's students with like shitty parents that are like i don't want my kid being taught this in school and that's complete bullshit and i know that that happens but but huge shout out to teachers all around that are taking it on themselves Mm -hmm. to fill in the massive gaps in these school curriculums that are not okay i think this weekend was marked Mm -hmm. by a bunch of education and self-education and i think that's what this entire you know, awakening is going to entail is a, a fuck ton of self-education because our country has proved they're not going to do it for us. They're not going to mm-hmm. teach it to us, at least not from a federal level. Because there's fucking Nazis in the White House. 
and I feel like to me at least it's personally my responsibility to do that hefty hefty that heavy lifting it's not up to the black community to teach my fucking ass what I didn't know do you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and and so I think I think it's ultimately so important that we do that for ourselves and that we push our education system that we publicly fund with our fucking taxpayer dollars yep to to make this happen of course that's why I think Trump wants to privatize the school so they can decide what gets taught and and keep it the way that they want to keep it um and and it's it's uh it's a huge huge miscarriage of justice in our education system that that this is a reality and and jordan i had one teacher i think it was like a 1986 or 87 uh a history teacher in in junior high who was like all right listen here's the real fucking deal and like opened our eyes to a lot of this stuff um, and particularly growing up in Arizona, where they were, I think our governor was trying to move Martin Luther King Day in Arizona to a Sunday so that it wouldn't be a paid holiday. And that's sort of when we started our, you know, thinking about who Columbus was and why he gets a day and why we don't have a voting holiday and what actually happened to the genocide of indigenous peoples in our country and, and all that shit sort of it's sort of that started the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the luxury of having that one teacher uh that sort of opened your eyes to some of these things it's just you're gonna uh, a lot of our friends really good intelligent awesome caring compassionate people haven't learned about any of this stuff uh and and now they're taking it upon themselves to do so and mm-hmm. i think that that's a massive uh part of this movement mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, that's really well put. I remember my seventh grade teacher, Miss Turner, she was this adorable little ginger fairy leprechaun looking person who was like in her 60s or 70s and she was super soft spoken. And this woman had the task of teaching all of us seventh graders in one year of U.S. history all about the Holocaust and the Civil War. And I remember just being so like... I mean, it's so it's so much heavy information that she had to just unload onto all these like piece of shit seventh graders and stuff, just trying to even get any of us to wrap our heads around it in like a meaningful way is like something that I commend so much in teachers to try to get these kids that at least for me, I went to like a very white school and you have all of these these students here, you know, that are not taking things like seriously or you know she puts on I remember she put on the movie Glory for us with Matthew Broderick Mm. and Denzel Washington right and Mm -hmm. that's a heavy fucking movie yeah it's super it's super heavy but I remember watching it and like all these kids around just aren't even paying attention they're like fucking around throwing whatever spitballs around and there's like such a profound really good also movie on and it's like the the tasks that teachers they my point is they have to bear the weight of of this task essentially all alone with little to no resources from any other classes that we're taking you know it's like we come into this one classroom this one history classroom and then and then that's it it's like history teachers have so much of a responsibility to impart this and onto students and i feel like it needs to number one be something that doesn't just happen in seventh grade in one period of the day there has to be an integrative approach to all of this education that's like consistently being referenced throughout all of the different subjects because like the social justice lens you know is something that we need to be looking through when we're coming at examination from any kind of subject of study and so I feel like I just think back to her and I'm so appreciative of her for everything that 
she was teaching us and I'm also very upset that I don't feel like I I got any of that sort of in-depth look at injustice any other point in my educational career like only that one time when I was 12 years old and then that was it Mm -hmm. yeah same and then of course you have the problem with the textbooks where you know your teacher's telling you something and you're like that's not what's in the book Right. Well, who who wrote the book? And and then you go to biology and the fucking Mormons are allowed to just like opt out of the whole evolution unit. It's like, come on, dude. We really need to fix our education system badly. If we can't even agree mm-hmm. on how the fuck we got here as humans, we can't even agree that we need to like make kids listen to stuff. You have you have kids that are literally like, I don't want to listen to how I got here. We freaking allow that shit and it's like of that 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 in our education system i think completely needs i think that's bullshit and needs to go away you could fucking sit through a lesson mm-hmm. everybody needs to learn how to stop tailoring you know their blindsided mindsets and especially when the parents yeah. are the ones that are doing it too but that that's obviously getting on like a wider topic of the need for a, a better executed federally mandated set of principles in education that you know everybody is getting but yeah and you're and you're but you're so right too about and we're just sitting here talking about history class and we need to look like you said we have to look through the social justice lens at every subject and social studies in english literature what are you just going to learn shakespeare today no okay that's it or or if we talk about uh humanities and the arts or if we talk Talk about math. We do. I didn't know who Katherine Johnson was. You know, like we, any subject. And and I think Liz uh, Warren brought sort of brought this up. She's like, why do we only talk about racial injustices when we're talking about criminal justice reform? Every single thing is impacted by this, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's education reform, whether it's uh, environmental impacts, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think I think you're so right about looking at every subject, not just in school, but in life through Mm -hmm. the lens of social justice reform. I think that's very, very so crucial. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I really think that that's going to be something that changes over time, like very, very quickly uh, currently right now, because so much pressure is being put on people. But in the meantime, it's all of those heroes out there that are taking it on themselves to educate, you know, themselves and um, the the kids that they influence, basically, because... My God, can you imagine being a kid that goes home to like a racist family and then comes into school and shit and just that that's what we need to look at that at this. We need to look at this like that. There are literally kids that go home to a house of racists that are feeding them all of these horribly, you know, inaccurate and entirely misguided is a very nice way to put that. But like just just the wrong the wrong and evil way to look at things so when you come to school school i mean the reason why it's mandated that kids go to school is to prevent shit like that is it not that's kind of my interpretation of it like why do we why do we basically require that kids you know go to school in some way it's so that they learn shit and they don't just that sorry to interrupt but that yes so that they learn shit but but also that and because we underpay people uh, and kids need to eat, and and people can't afford childcare. Right. Those are two other reasons. Absolutely, we send people to sc- send kids to school. So yeah, we again, that's that that's that social justice lens that has to be focused elsewhere. Um, Absolutely, it, it, you know. So anyway, I'm yes. sorry for interrupting. No, 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 no. I'm just getting so mad. I know. Yeah, no, definitely. There, I mean, there's like top down structural changes at any 
place or marketplace where someone is interacting with another human being, shit has to change because how it exists currently is not promoting the truth. And that is getting us into this, it has gotten us into this complete inexcusable mess. So anyways, um, over the weekend, I just want to list out some of the, some of the few super awesome things that happened during the Juneteenth protest in Oakland, dock workers and longshoremen, they marched uh, with thousands of people and they shut down a whole port in Harlem. Uh, there was all different kinds of celebrations, mindful celebrations included. There was like meditation, there was dancing, there was singing, there were speeches. This could be said for places really everywhere. Uh, in Tulsa, a bunch of people, hundreds of people gathered in Greenwood, um, Greenwood is the site of a horrible, horrible act of racist violence in the U.S., and they were there to remember and celebrate emancipation, and like I said, this was happening all over cities across the country, and there was such amazing leadership from Movement for Black Lives, the M4BL, and there was like a YouTube stream that they had for people that didn't go out or were in between going out or whatever, and there was a memorial that they had put on. And it was just, um, you know, it was set to beautiful music. And, and then there there was just picture after picture honoring and remembering all of the black lives that have been lost because of COVID or because of uh, the police state and police brutality. Mm-hmm. And it was like impossible to watch it and not just weep because it shows you it puts it right in your face that we're we're living in a society that is surrounded by systemic murder we are entrenched in a society that is murdering people and you watch this and it's just it hits you in the face in a way that is inescapable and is so powerful and they had after that and before that all of these you know beautiful artistic performances or like scholars and um or I don't want to say scholars necessarily, but just people that are researching and, and writing, uh, activists, leaders, talking and interviewing each other about what this movement means and what history means. And it was just such a comprehensively amazing way to engage the world in this weekend um, in a you know way that maybe is safer for some people that aren't as comfortable with physically going out and being there. So huge, huge you know they don't need my ups but big ups uh to the people that organize that they're they're just fearless and it's fucking amazing so i think talking about you know there being a lot of good news this weekend i put that under there the massive success of that for sure mm-hmm. um yeah so the next story is um a sad story it's coming out of LA county so robert fuller he was um, I mean, you know his name. He was he was the man who was found hanging in a tree in Palmdale, and his death was initially a suicide. And now it's being investigated, and its investigation is being overseen by the FBI. Um, as you know, looking into it being a homicide potentially, it just it just completely looks like a lynching, especially paired with the fact that this is happening over and over in various cities across the country right now. So so all eyes are on that case and the cases like it that happened june 10th so we learned that uh, robert fuller's half brother was shot and killed by police in kern county 
this is according to the attorney, the family attorney that's representing Fuller's family. And authorities finally confirmed the man's identity on Thursday evening as Fuller's half-brother. His name is Tehran Jamal Boone. And uh, the statement coming out of Fuller's family attorney is, at this time, until you receive all of the information, the family and their legal team doesn't have any further comment on this incident on the flip side uh lieutenant robert westfall came out wednesday he's a spokesman for los angeles county sheriff's department he said that the investigators are aware of that possible quote connection between the suspect who was shot uh, and fuller um then he he also said that what what they said happened was detectives were investigating a suspect who was wanted for kidnap and spousal assault and assault with a deadly weapon. And then they said they found a guy that matched the description. Then they pull him over during a traffic stop. And they say that when they pulled him over, the suspect opened his car door and began firing at the officers and that the officers returned fire. And then he died at the scene. That's that's what um, that's what they're saying right now. A woman was also in the driver's seat. That was stopped and she was struck by bullets and transferred to a hospital, but she's she's still alive. And then there was also a seven-year-old girl that was in the backseat of the car when they were stopped, but she was unharmed during the incident. I don't even know how you could say unharmed. That's like the most traumatic thing you could ever possibly witness and be a part of. Um, but the relationship between all of the three people that were in the car is, isn't clear yet is what detectives are saying uh they did recover a handgun from the crime scene um like obviously but that's just like a another tragic story that's like i mean like at the at the very least it's it's like the incidents of people that are killed by police is so high in number that within weeks it's happening to people that are literally related by blood it's like, wow, just, you know, obviously details are still pending on the investigation and I'm not about to speak on anything because I'm just not going to fucking do that. I'm not, I'm not about to like hear, you know, the detective's preliminary statement and then try to make some judgment off of whether or not that was, uh, that was justified so maybe details will come out and it and it's like as black and white as the detectives are trying to paint it which was this was a guy wanted for a bunch of stuff and then opened fire on the police immediately at which point i mean it's kind of hard to defuse someone that's a defuse a situation where someone's literally firing a gun at you in that point blank range but but i don't know i'm not i'm not going to i'm reserving judgment on all of that and what i am remaining consistent in is just wanting to see thorough fair investigations into any deaths that happen at the hands of police officers that's Mm -hmm. that's my main thing yeah Uh, my final story is something you had referenced in our opening intro so the air force announced that they're investigating whether or not the military used reconnaissance aircraft to monitor protests that were happening in dc minneapolis and then also vegas actually is thrown in here too uh air force Hmm. uh, yeah spokesman for the air force said on thursday that the ig's office is looking into if air national guard rc-26 aircraft was supporting civil authorities during those demonstrations and protests uh joseph kernan 
um, said that he's he's under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. He wrote a letter to the House Intelligence Committee saying that he received no orders from the Trump administration to use those spy planes against the peaceful protesters. And this is um, hmm. after a group of lawmakers uh, whose names include John Lewis, AOC, and Bobby Rush, Democrat from Illinois, they demanded in a letter earlier this month that any of that surveillance be stopped. The The letter said that there had been reports of surveillance by multiple federal agencies at events, at these protests, and that they were specifically using that information to retaliate against people or, or basically just do shit that should not be, that is not covered by our constitution. Uh, they said in the letter, we write to you to express our deep and profound concerns that the surveillance tactics of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the National Guard Bureau, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and Customs and Border Protection during the recent protests across the U.S. are significantly chilling the First Amendment rights of Americans. We demand that you cease any and all surveilling of Americans engaged in peaceful protests. So... Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I know for a fact that shit happens. I know for a fact they do that stuff. They even did that when we used to protest at UCSD. They would do that. Like, um, I remember one time one of my friends, she got called in like days after a protest happened and they like showed her a picture and they were like, is this you? You know, so that's like a thing that that's a thing that they that every fucking (laughs) that's very granted you see was also highly militarized ucpd that was a huge thing they had like massive tanks coming on like not tanks uh giant trucks that were like very tank like that would come onto campus Mm -hmm. during these protests too so just this really you know well-established practice of retaliating against protesters through use of surveilling them while the protests are happening which discourages people from protesting number one that's a huge reason why that Uh is very anti-first amendment and i also i know i mean right to privacy is something that's been argued and litigated about forever and always will be but it's just poses massive massive disturbing questions about what we're willing to tolerate from our government yeah we have to go through a fisa application process and prove somebody is sucking russian dick to get a fisa warrant to surveil them right yet we have planes out checking us out american citizens so yeah and uh, and this is the u.s air force inspector general so i expect he'll be fired this friday (laughs) yeah we'll see we'll see what happens with this inspector general but um thank you for those stories uh disturbing sad um but also very hopeful in in all of the rallies and protests that were held this weekend in honor of juneteenth so thanks for those updates jordan you're welcome um Yeah, and we will be right back with more news from Under the Radar. And then, of course, later in the show, we'll be joined by Harry Littman. So stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know how we all feel about our Helix mattresses. Uh, Jordan has one. Uh, Mandy and Joelle have one. I have one. It is the best mattress mattress I've ever slept on in my life. Uh, It was a game changer for getting a good night's sleep. Well, Helix has launched a new company called Allform that's gone beyond the bedroom to revolutionize furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful, comfortable sofas and chairs delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. 
Uh, they make it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your uh, spill stain and scratch resistant fabric color. Uh, you can pick the color of the legs, the size, the shape, uh, all to make sure it's perfect for you in your home. I personally chose a three-seater sofa. I customized it with whiskey-colored leather. I put a walnut-leg finish on there, and it includes a chaise lounge. I came in a couple of days. I put it together myself. I absolutely love it. They have armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and build uh, if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when and if you move. Usually, if you want to order a customized sofa, it takes weeks or even months to arrive, and you'd need someone to assemble it in your home, or you have to call the freight company and they'll give you a, a huge eight-hour delivery window. But all form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That is more than three months, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, no questions asked. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans and allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners that's allform.com slash dailybeans hey everybody welcome back ah news from under the radar and what a great week for a little schadenfreude if that's your thing if you watched trump's tulsa rally at all yesterday you'd have seen that only 6,200 people, 6,119 people came to his event in an arena made for 19,200, roughly. That's less than a third of the capacity of the BOK arena. Uh, Trump and Pence were supposed to speak uh, outside to the overflow crowd in an overflow area they build as the outdoor experience. However, uh, there were zero people there. I think there were like 12 to 20 people milling around. They brought them all inside to pack the arena. Uh, and they were expecting 40,000 in that outdoor experience. Uh, so it was kind of uh, pretty hilarious to watch them dissemble that stage and, and trust system and all that uh, when, uh, when they uh, realized uh, that uh, 40,000 people weren't showing up. Not even 1,000, not even 20 people showed up. Uh, of course, Brad Parscale, Trump's campaign manager and self-proclaimed data genius, blamed the media and Black Lives Matter protesters on the disappointing turnout. But there were a few other forces at play. What is now being called a no-show protest um, uh, from a former Buttigieg staffer known as the TikTok Grandma and multiple K-pop stands, encouraging, they encouraged teenagers, also known as Zoomers, to reserve tickets, which eventually pushed the number of RSVPs close to a million and uh, data genius Brad Parscale bragged about those numbers on social media. Uh, I replied to him six, seven days ago saying, uh, if you were truly a social media expert, you would know who was reserving those tickets. And then I put a bunch of laughy emojis behind it. Uh, he did not listen to me to the extent that the campaign spent real money setting up an outdoor overflow area for 40,000 people that never materialized. Uh, it is important to note that the no-show protest, while successful, is not likely the culprit for the shit attendance at the rally. That's just Trump himself sucking at life. However, the important part here is that data genius Brad Parscale, who was bragging about the data hall, quote-unquote, first of all, data geniuses don't call it a data hall, uh, but he was bragging about the data hall of voter information for future mailing lists and campaign donation solicitations. Uh, that list now is comprised mostly of people who are not old enough to vote. And we cannot ignore 
uh, the embarrassment that comes with expecting tens of thousands of people and ending up with 6,200, and the shame that must solely be theirs in the face of a comedian hosting a political news podcast with swearing, being smarter than your campaign data genius. Uh, I give Parscale less than one Scaramucci left in his position as campaign manager. If he's not fired today, it'll probably be tomorrow, certainly by the end of the week. But I have uh, I have been wrong on that before. Uh, Trump has uh, kept people around for a lot longer than I thought he would. But we'll see how long Parscale lasts. And then, you know, of course, who would he be replaced with? Could it be Bannon? Could it be Mike Flynn? I mean, I hear he's not doing anything these days. Uh, but who knows what's going to happen. Some other headlines from under the radar today. Governor Gavin Newsom, that is our intrepid governor, issued a mandatory mask order for California over the weekend. So wear your mask. And thank you, Governor Newsom, for putting that order in place. If you are in a state that doesn't have a state-mandated mask order, please wear your mask anyway. And uh, Amy Klobuchar, former Democratic presidential candidate, appeared on Lawrence O'Donnell's show on MSNBC Thursday night after we had recorded Friday's show and announced that she was withdrawing her name from consideration as Biden's pick for vice president, saying he should choose a woman of color. There are many, many talented and experienced and qualified women of color. He should pick a woman of color. Uh, I do not think she would have said that if she didn't have some inside information that that happens to be Biden's plan. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. And speaking of the election, this Tuesday, Kentuckians vote in that state's primary. However, we expect massive delays and problems as the Republicans in that state have decreased the number of polling places from 2,700 to 200, including one polling place, just one, to serve a population of about 615,000 voters, of course, in a predominantly black district. Kentuckians will not only be deciding who to run as the Democratic presidential nominee, uh, but they'll also be voting in a highly contested Senate race that includes moderate Amy McGrath, former Marine pilot, and progressive Charles Booker. From the New York Times, quote, Amy McGrath was considered a safe bet in the Democratic primary, but the recent movement for racial justice has elevated the candidacy of her African-American rival Charles Booker in the race to defeat Mitch McConnell. Uh, McGrath now finds herself in a tightening race for the Senate nod with the 35-year-old African-American state rep who was tear-gassed by the police in a recent protest. Some polls show that despite McGrath's massive fundraising haul and uh, early voting that's been happening for a while now in Kentucky, Booker is surging ahead of her in some polls by eight points in some cases. Uh, we will cover the results when we have them, uh, and I just... I, ha I hope with all that in me that voting goes smoothly in that state, but with the decreased number of polling places, particularly in black communities, I, I anticipate problems. And four nurses are suing Landmark Hospital of Athens, Georgia, alleging the hospital intentionally manipulated COVID-19 test results to hide an outbreak at that facility, and that's according to local TV station WXIA. Uh, the nurses claim they were instructed to take tracheal swabs and then send them to the lab that only tests nasal swabs. Uh, the swabs were rejected because the lab was unable to perform COVID-19 tests on those type of specimens. Uh, quote, Landmark purposefully, Landmark is the name of the hospital, Landmark purposefully submitted these samples with purposefully incorrect labels to orchestrate negative results for patients who had previously tested positive for COVID-19. That's according to the complaint. 
One nurse who agreed to speak with WXIA on the condition of anonymity claimed she properly administered a COVID-19 test and was subsequently fired for doing so. Quote, I did the test and it did turn out positive and I was terminated for not having a doctor's order. Uh, she told the, that's what this nurse told WXIA. The nurses are asking the court to step in and require the hospital to fix the alleged testing issues. So that's what's happening in Georgia. And the Trump administration has drafted an executive order to suspend new temporary work visas for overseas hires. That's according to three sources that talked to CNBC. The proclamation could target J-1 visas and other cultural or work exchange programs. It would not rescind previously issued visas. Uh, as we know, Trump advisor Stephen Miller has repeatedly pushed for a crackdown on immigration, and Department of Homeland Security official Ken Cuccinelli led this plan. While Trump supports the effort, uh, it has received mixed reception from other top advisors. The move would further the Trump administration's nativist bent. The White House would justify the order by arguing American citizens should hold the jobs as the unemployment rate stands above 13 percent. It's actually almost 17 percent following coronavirus lockdowns. It could receive blowback from the travel industry, restaurants and other sectors that rely on temporary work visa programs. And finally, as we all know, Judge Reggie Walton, lion of the court is presiding over a FOIA case, uh, that's a Freedom of Information Act case, brought by CNN, BuzzFeed, and Epic regarding the appropriateness of the redactions made by Bill Barr's Justice Department. In the midst of this case working its way through the courts, the Stone trial has ended. Therefore, the Justice Department has conceded that since the Stone redactions were no longer classified as harm to an ongoing matter, this past Friday, a less redacted version of the Mueller report was released. And as you can imagine, well, we were all correct. So <laughs> let's go over some of the standout points that were under the black bars in the first release of this report. Multiple top campaign aides, uh, according to some of the new unredacted information, told investigators that Trump himself, then the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, knew WikiLeaks had damaging information on the Clinton campaign. That's a big no shit for us who've been listening to uh, Mueller, she wrote, the podcast. Uh, former Chairman Paul Manafort, former Deputy Campaign Chairman Rick Gates, and former personal attorney Michael Cohen told investigators that Stone told Trump and several advisors in July 2016 that he had spoken with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and that the website would be dumping documents in just a few days. Mueller's team established that the Trump campaign displayed an interest in WikiLeaks releases, and the former campaign member Roger Stone was in contact with the campaign about those releases, claiming advanced knowledge of more to come. That's according to the report, the Mueller report. Uh, Mueller concluded that Trump may have lied to investigators in his written answers to questions in the investigation. And this was always a big sticking point for us on Mueller, she wrote. Trump wrote in his written answers he had no foreknowledge of the WikiLeaks dumps. Uh, but that conversation on the way to LaGuardia that we've talked about over and over again proves otherwise, and it's borne out here in the unredacted version of the stone parts of the Mueller report. And it did come out in the trial uh, last year as well. Quote, Cohen recalled a conversation in which Roger Stone told Trump that WikiLeaks planned to release the information soon, and Manafort recalled that Trump had asked him to stay in touch with Stone about WikiLeaks. Uh, it is possible that by the time the president submitted his written answers two years after the relevant events had occurred, he no longer had clear recollections of his discussions with Stone or his knowledge of Stone's asserted communications with WikiLeaks. That's according to Mueller. He continues, but but the president's conduct could also be viewed as reflecting his awareness that Stone could 
um, provide evidence that would run counter to the president's denials and would link the president uh, to Stone's efforts to reach out to WikiLeaks. Stone indicated he had knowledge of Trump's written answers to Mueller, so it seems they collaborated. And Mueller's report noted that Stone went on Fox News the evening of January 25th, 2019, the day he made his first court appearance after being indicted. Quote, that evening, Stone appeared on Fox News and indicated he had knowledge of the president's answers to this office's written questions. When asked if he had spoken to the president about the allegation that he had lied to Congress, Stone said, I have not. And added, when the president answered the written interrogatories, he correctly and honestly said, Roger Stone and I never discussed this and we never did. Now, the release of this less redacted Mueller report doesn't let Barr and the Department of Justice off the hook for having to turn over these materials. Walton is still holding a hearing behind closed doors uh, this July 20th to ask the Department of Justice questions about the appropriateness of all redactions, any redactions that he finds fishy or political or inappropriate. And we may yet see more of this report, though don't expect to get any information about ongoing matters that still may be lingering in the Southern District or the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. And speaking of the Southern District... (laughs) This weekend, we saw a 24-hour standoff between the U.S. attorney in the Southern District, Berman, and Bill Barr, uh, via Trump, apparently. Uh, Nadler, Gerald Nadler, uh, who will be holding hearings with former lawyers from the Stone and Census cases this week, had also invited Berman to testify to the House Judiciary this Wednesday, though he told Jake Tapper this weekend they won't be pursuing impeachment because it doesn't make a difference if they impeach him because the Senate is corrupt and will just vote to keep him in office anyway. And joining us after this quick break to discuss the self-own is the former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, host of the Talking Feds pod, Harry Littman. You don't want to miss it, so stay with us. Hey, everybody. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry.com. It has been more than 75 years since many courageous soldiers, maybe even your grandfather, left home to fight for the highest possible purpose. Explore Ancestry's new collection of untold stories from World War II, then find and honor the veterans in your family who served. You may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many stories to uncover. You can discover this diverse perspectives uh, of those who were there and and learn about the untold stories of the men and women who faced World War II with dignity and courage. Uh, The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, that's an all-African-American squad of fighter pilots, or the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics, or the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units despite heavy discrimination against Japanese-Americans at the time. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting-age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up serving or not. So there's a great chance that you could find your relatives in this collection, and it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. Uncover your ancestors' personal details on our World War II U.S. draft card collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and more. Find and honor the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion when the world needed them most and get a new take on their World War II experiences. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Joining me today is former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, former federal prosecutor, SCOTUS law professor at UCLA, and host of the Talking Feds podcast, Harry Littman. Harry, happy Father's Day. Hey, thank you, AG. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad you're joining me today because you and I were sort of texting back and forth. You've been on the show a couple times this week already, Uh, but you and I were sort of texting back and forth about 
the Friday night reverse massacre. I don't even know what to call it. Um, the uh, right, <laughs> the, the the Mobius strip, uh, the, the, the right. But uh, but basically, uh, for, from what I understand, Barr put out a re- press release saying that uh, Berman, who is the U.S. attorney at the Southern District of New York, and, and oftentimes there are several Southern Districts, but when we say Southern District, it is known to be the Southern District of New York, one of the oldest institutions in the country. I think it was around before the Department of Justice. Uh, and uh, so... <laughs> He said uh, Berman was resigning, um, and then Berman, we, uh, we we shared it. Oh my gosh, Friday Night Massacre! Uh, they're firing Berman, and then Berman put out a statement, uh, maybe an hour later or so, saying, "I'm not going anywhere. I was appointed by judges, and you can't make me leave until there's a Senate confirmed permanent appointment." And then uh, the next morning, Barr put out a statement saying, "I talked to Trump. Trump fired you. Trump can fire you. Ha ha ha!" Because apparently, there's a, a Office of Legal Counsel memo that you and I will talk about that I guess Barr was unaware of. I don't know. Uh, and then, um, of course, then Berman uh, came back and said, "Okay, I'm going, but only because you're putting uh, Strauss, who is his successor in the normal order of things." to be in charge of that office. And that seemed to be why he was comfortable leaving. So uh, first of all, can you tell us about, there's a there's a U.S. code that says uh, something about who is able to fire uh, a U.S. attorney. So I'd be glad to, but let me just uh, take a beat to say how mind-blowing this, this was. I, I was a former U.S. attorney. You get um, first of all, you don't get a note that, that or a press release that says you have resigned. You know, this was completely um, shoddy and and discourteous. But it also came on the heels of a conversation they had had that day of an overture from Barr for a soft landing to the civil division. But this kind of behind the scenes maneuvering would never hit the public eye. So it was something for Barr to have sent out. And I think a mistake, you know, both of etiquette and strategy for him to have done it without, or tactics for it without anyone have spoken to Berman. But then it was like a mind-blowing, you know, rebel yell when Berman said, oh, no, I'm not. I was appointed by um, by judges. So and when that, when that, uh, came out on Friday night. That's when uh, DOJ alums were saying, "Whoa, what the hell!" And and of <laughs> course, everyone knew that what was hanging in the balance were really, really important investigations involving more than any in the where in the country, uh, President Trump and the maybe the uh, Trump charities, the Trump organization, Trump fell and Rudy Giuliani. I mean, that's where the mother load is. So this looks like the big move from Barr. Okay, the statute. So and there then, are two. And then I'm sorry to interrupt, but we yeah, also no, have the inaugural investigation with that 108 million that sort of you know, had gone walkies and no way. Yeah. Yeah. We have tangible indication it's going forward. And that's of course some real, you know, Republican high rollers and Southern district of New York is what survives here. And Berman is a Trump guy, a Trump, uh, you know, contributor, et cetera. But Mm -hmm. the, the, the culture of the SDNY is so strong. He had obviously been dedicated to those investigations going forward, as any U.S. attorney ought to be. And, and yeah. this was the last sort of, rep, you know, last person for the AG to try to 
smother. And, and, and we are we all were concerned when Berman got the job. But then he he did end up indicting Zuberi in the inaugural investigation. He did end up indicting Hulkbank, even though we know now from public reporting that Trump was trying to stop that. Right. And of course, it had just come out that they were calling in Prince Andrew to testify in the Epstein case, which is, is being uh, looked at by the Southern District. Of course, the inaugural with Zuberi, and then and then we have, like you said, the Partisan Fruman show with fraud guarantee and Rudy Giuliani possibly laundering money and funneling it into the Trump campaign from foreign entities. So, and lots. all of this, some of it would bear fruit, some wouldn't. But the you, the Southern District, or you know, your your listeners have, have heard this a million times, but the Sovereign District of New York earned its nickname because they really do go their own way. It's very, very hard to kind of tame them even when you're uh, an, an attorney general. So to actually decapitate that office and put in, as Barr proposed to do in this press release, someone with no prosecutorial experience, that itself is mind-blowing, and someone who would obviously, uh, you know, hand-picked um, acolyte, that that was tantamount to to really, um, uh, you know, uh, shutting, if not shutting down, really um, tamping down to a whisper these these many investigations. So that part, that's what what, you know, is in the background and it's big, big uh, kind of uh, stakes for Trump, especially uh, should he lose in November. OK, so um, uh, nerdy law school time. There are two statutes. <laughs> That oh, it's my favorite time now. Yeah. I, I I brought donuts for the students. Um, it's the um, there are two laws that govern the appointment of and uh, firing of U.S. attorneys, and at least the Department of Justice would say underlying them all is an inherent Article Two constitutional power. But one says the normal way. I was that you know it's you you get up uh, nominated and confirmed, or the or the DOJ gives you you know. A- acting power, but sometimes for maybe there's a political impasse or the vacancy for whatever reason has been too long, there is a special power that this court has. It's a different statute um, that, that says a court can install a U.S. attorney, and that statute says that when when that occurs, the person remains in office until a successor has been confirmed by until there's a political um, replacement form that happened in fact with Berman because Kristen Helbert one of the one of the senators in New York was holding things up wasn't sure she wanted so they just did it by this court system so the SDNY would be functional mm-hmm. and that that almost happened in DC after oh, yeah Lou left and Shay was in Shay's appointment was going to be up June 2nd and the judges were going to have to appoint. Uh, an attorney in that office as well. So this this is... Yeah, it's a stopgap measure. You need it sometimes. But Berman said, uh, so I'm a whole different animal. The, the judges put me in. Only the judges can uh, take me out until you've got a confirmed person. And that, getting a confirmed person, which still is sort of in the mix with, with the Audrey Strauss, his deputy at the helm, Ain't going to happen in 2020. Just for starters, Lindsey Graham chair, the Judiciary Committee, has already said he will honor the blue slip process. What's that mean? 
that the Democratic senators have to sign off on any nominee. So so Schumer and Gillibrand would have to, which will not happen. And of course, the senators do not want, especially anyone up for re-election, a politically charged vote that's almost proxy for Trump versus law, <laughs> rule of law, uh, com- coming. So you won't see you won't see that. And and that's what Berman was saying. So just just what you say. So Trump. Uh, actually, this now brings us to the OLC opinion. Um, the Office of Legal Counsel, anybody who listens to Daily Beans knows about that because you have such a sophisticated, listen, loyal listening base. But that that special little brain trust in the Department of Justice once wrote in the 70s an a opinion and said for these people under 546 who have been appointed by a court, the attorney general can't just fire, and that would be like the attorney general versus the courts. And the attorney general is a little bit under that. He's you know, not at the level of the federal courts. But guess who can fire them? Who, in the OLC views, can always fire somebody? The president. So when Berman said, I ain't staying, uh, I mean, I ain't leaving, I did not resign, We it was clear that Barr was going to have to go to Trump and say, fire Berman. And then, of course, he would, uh, you know, his whole the, the, what a, the black guy that this would be for him would be, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, almost hard to recover from. But within then, the department. But then so, what did Trump do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Trump said, did I find, you know, kind of like this. This was like his song and dance with Michael Cohen. And who was the stormy Dan? I didn't have anything to do with that. But nevertheless, Barr secured a piece of paper that said um, the president of the United States was firing Berman. And that meant under at least the OLC uh, opinion that it would be okay. Now, Berman still had a big card to play that he opted not to play. He still could have said, uh, well, thank you very much, but I don't I don't see how you can do that. 546 gives the only way I can be I can be replaced is if there is a successor. That's all it says. There's no law that says this OLC memo has not been tested in court. Is that correct? Well, um, there's a teeny case from 1963, but all the OLC, right, but the OLC memo, that's, we don't have a clean holding that says the president can do it. And so Berman could say, I'm sticking around, I'm going to court and telling them to keep me. And then what would have happened, the Trump and the DOJ would have had to come in with the unitary executive argument saying, I don't care what 546 says, nobody can stop the president from firing. But that would have taken time left him in there, lead the investigations to develop. And, you know, unless Barr tried to, like, lock the doors and stuff, that that would have been a sort of sustained stalemate. Instead, Berman waved the white flag. He said, you're putting in Audrey Strauss. Um, She is, and by all accounts, she really is, a really solid career professional who will be vigilant to keep the, the flames burning. On the new on the prosecutions involving Trump, but and Allison, you always you always right you always put in you know thirty seconds what it then takes me uh, five minutes to to try to stumble over. But you're exactly right because now and Barr even put this in. You know Barr used to be head of the OLC. He knows what he's doing. The little nerdy site 
541. She's now in there under 541A. And now anything about the court's powers to protect her go away. And she's just a normal acting United States attorney. And as you say, we and as we saw in D.C. with Tim Shea and that succession, there are 16 ways to get her out. So what Berman is now betting, the country is now betting, on it being too incendiary, too big a political hit for for Barr to make a maneuver that Al Cern puts in a true lackey. Now, that's been a bad bet in the past. Mm. Moreover, uh, you know, just to have it in as a whole card in the event that an indictment's about to come down, even if it's a huge hit, Trump might want to to take it. But I think the calculation now has to be more political than legal with all this brouhaha. Everybody will know in a re-election season if they oust Strauss that they're, you know, the, the fix is in for these cases. And yeah, but Trump's they'll be up in arms this time, shit. finally. No. Be up in arms. <laughs> now we'll storm the ramparts and it'll be like Tulsa. Um, yeah, so... That's right. I mean, it's now, you know, Berman decided, you can understand this, he didn't want to, there's all kinds of stuff they could, you know, they could basically cut off his phone, take his security clearance. It was going to be a lonely few months. He decided he'd just as soon not be there. And now the office is more vulnerable, but maybe because of the intense hyper-focus of these 24 hours, there's a little more political insulation. But just as you say, that was then. Nah. Um, uh, so, five, you know, the is, acts could fall. Is 541A the Vacancies Act? No, that's a whole... 541 has to do with how you, the appointment of U.S. attorneys. Mm. Now, in addition... There is, and we'll need we'll need a, a couple hours and a pot of coffee to go for, <laughs> through the Vacancies Act, and I think your numbers might go down. But uh, it's a it's a very arcane procedure, and but in, it it could come into play for the replacement of say a Strauss. Yeah, I don't think that Barr would have any problem doing this. I think Trump's base, his twenty eight percent or whatever, shows to. Never leave for any reason. Uh, and I mean, if you look at what they but did, he's got to grow it a little. Right. I mean, we saw last night if that's what he gets. I mean, he'll be going down to and, and they have flinched some. But it, you're certainly right that scruples wouldn't stop him. And if it were really at the at the actual, um, you know, precipice of terrible criminal penalty, mm, all bets are off. Right. Well, no, and look at what he did to Jesse Liu, right, in the in the D.C. office, said, tried to get rid of her last year when the whole, it was right around the timing the McCabe indictment didn't happen. Uh, I don't know if they're connected, but uh, they tried to get her to take a job at Department of Justice to be number three at the DOJ. Uh, she didn't. She ended up staying in D.C. And then yet again, when the, you know, the stone shit was going down, uh, they were like, hey, we got this new, great new job for you at Department of the Treasury. Go to go over to the Department of Treasury. Just empty out your desk now. Walk over there. They need you immediately. Uh, and, you know, and then on her way to the Department of Treasury, they withdrew her nomination for that spot. And she was gone. So yeah, sort of. And by the way, in her case, the or else was was implicit, which it was with Berman. So that's what one reason was so stunning that Berman said, hey, uh, you know, I ain't leaving. But Jesse Lou really, you know, she she was a good, solid Republican, but she was a career professional. Same thing. She was 
doing her job. They needed somebody who who wouldn't do or knew that their that their job wasn't to develop cases against the president, mm-hmm. but rather to undevelop them. Yeah, there's a very specific reason Barr gave himself sole ability to approve any investigation into a presidential campaign. Um, and so here we are now with how many, I mean, you can start all the way back with Jim Comey. If you're being investigated, uh, if, you, if, the, if the president's being investigated, your job is probably not long for this world. Um, I mean, John, you know, John Bolton's book comes out tomorrow and he's got the, the best soundbite here. The, the administration was obstruction of justice as a way of life. This is an obstruction. Uh, Ukraine's an obstruction. You know, Turkey, China, as Bolton puts it, it's it's just inspectors general. Yeah, it's just instinctual. We've got a possible legal problem. You obstruct. Now, you wouldn't think. Well, you you wouldn't have thought in, as of 2016 that that's that that the D- Department of Justice would ever capitulate, and that's been one of the brutal uh, surprises, uh, unhappy surprises of the last few years. All right, so now you've spent some time in U.S. attorneys' offices and in the Department of Justice. What do you see happening here? Are we hitting the gas pedal now on these investigations? Uh, is is Strauss going to be trying to crank these out as fat like faster than they were already working? I mean, there's there's a, you know there's only a certain speed you can go on these things uh, to be thorough and correct and to you know get that sort of charge that you can obtain and maintain throughout the appeals process. But should we inspe- expect indictments to to start happening? I mean, I hate to you know predict shit, but there's a definite reason uh, that that Berman was removed, and now I would feel like Strauss knows under 541A she doesn't have the most solid footing. Is she going to be hitting the gas? Yeah. Well, so we don't know, of course, if the move against Berman was because something was imminent or there's just too much going on. But we're talking about a big and very, very, very dedicated and professional office. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to speed things up, including just doubling the staffing. And there also are ways to shore things up. You know, I there's there's I can tell you any file will have many copies and and what and there, you know, everyone will know where the bodies are buried. So yeah, they will work the cases really hard. And that mean that'll have consequences, right? That's calling people to the grand jury or reaching out to potential defendants. So it is going to be um, uh, active there. And what is it? 139 days till the uh, election. If it, it, you know, if it goes to a certain point, it might be beyond Trump's powers to remedy. But I have no doubt and and the FBI will be totally, you know, going double time. So it it they they are both morale and ability will be redoubled to to really push through here. And if and they have without a doubt a contingency plan mm-hmm. if the uh, you know if the bomb does drop on on Strauss's office, the new person if if they come in and they're sort of a lackey is gonna find an unfriendly, hostile group of assistants who have a lot of ways to run around them. And this is this is a smart and independent uh, crowd. Yeah, I'm almost thinking there's got it. You know, if if I'm them, I'm thinking 129 days uh, microscopes on me. Let's duplicate, triplicate everything that we've done. Let's leave a paper trail. Let's put these just so, sort of uh, make sure that. If the bomb drops, which I personally think it will, I'm I, maybe I'm a little, do I I'm not normally a doomsday person, but uh, 
this I just it's bar. So, you know, then you just say, hey, you know, maybe maybe come January, we'll have a new AG, a new office. And then there's nothing stopping them from picking these cases back up again. Right. Because they they haven't been dismissed with prejudice or they haven't been. That's right. If they're not. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's almost sort of better to sort of make a bunch of copies and wait than to try to because, well, they wouldn't get to court anyway to a place where they could be dismissed by a judge that would even, you know, (laughs) do that uh, by the time there was a new attorney general provided Joe Biden wins the election in November. Yeah, I mean, so. there there are ways to smother it. This, I mean, a totally, first, ex, like crazy, surreal, and exciting 24 hours, but also the decision tree just like, you know, keep multiplies like crazy all the way through. We actually, talking feds did, when, when, when big things like this happen, we try to do a day of thing, a talking feds now, mm-hmm. and there's a whole hour on the back and forth and what's going on behind the scenes that I did with Andrew Weissman and Matt Miller and Barb McQuaid uh, at uh, at at Talking Feds because the 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 speculation it gets really really rich really um, uh, quickly. Now that Strauss is there, I, you know things settled down a bit. But uh, but both sides, if you if you see it as two sides here, maybe you see it as three or four, have have a lot of cards to play, and each one you know. Bar had there. There are things short of of firing somebody that can that can really uh, apply pressure. You know. Yeah, everybody definitely check out that ep- new latest episode of Talking Feds Pod. And I, you know, I got to tell you, Harry, though, with with the thousands of professionals uh, that that and, and line professionals that work in Southern District and for the Southern District. I trust their level of intelligence and ability far more than I trust bars, especially with this debacle uh, where he just punched himself in the face this weekend. So uh, I, I am holding out hope. You know, I've always said the arc of justice is long, but it bends toward the Southern <laughs> District. <laughs> um, I've never heard that one. Oh, what, a, what a nice New York-centric thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because, I mean, that's where we had a lot of our hopes uh, nested in, in, in all of these follow-up investigations. There are many investigations we don't even know about that are that are going on there. So It's got a storied history, and it's got a lot of info after these years. Remember, the Trump Organization itself, Alan Weisselman, the you know the 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 loyal old time accountant who for the you know for Donald Trump, there within within Manhattan, a lot of people know a lot of stuff. Yep. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep our eye on Strauss, and uh, hopefully, you'll come back and join us when uh, when and if that bomb drops. Sound good? It sounds good. In fact, I'll maybe even drive soon to the lair, uh, which I which I haven't seen in all the virus time, and I always like to. To visit, notwithstanding the pat downs and you know strip searches and stuff, <laughs> hoods six feet away. Uh, all right, well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Talk out, check out the Talking Feds pod, uh, especially this uh, episode this weekend. But just in general, it's an amazing podcast with incredible guests, uh, all of your favorites that I know you know we've had on the show from time to time, um, all together in one place talking. It's incredible. So check out Talking Feds and uh, Harry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yvette, have a good one. Happy Father's Day. Everybody, stick around with us. Uh, Right after this break, we have the good news block. You don't want to miss it, so stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From coffee and supplements to pet treats, CBD is popping up in everything these days, but it can be confusing and complicated. I mean, how can you tell what's good and what's not, what's uh, organic and what isn't, and more importantly, who can you trust? Those were some of the questions I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all the answers. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. There's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products have just two ingredients, actually, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Transparency and quality control are what set Sunsoil apart from the rest, which really means a lot to us. And they farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountains farm of Vermont and extract CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity every step of the way. They never use pesticides or herbicides or GMOs. Because Sunsoil does everything in-house, they keep their products simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands, and every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and their coconut oil. Uh, I like to put a few of the oil drops in my morning coffee or sometimes after a workout into my smoothie, and I often take a soft gel at night before uh, you know, getting some great sleep. One of the greatest things about Sunsoil is that as the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and our planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And joining me today to bring you the good news stories from our listeners is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello. I'm great. You know? How much has changed a since lot. the beginning of the show with you? A lot. I mean... A couple more beads of sweat have accumulated on the <laughs> spine of my back. Really? That's the only change I can report. <laughs> That's about two it. Two additional... Two additional beads of sweat. Yes. That is the headline. Beads of uh, sweat. I have... <laughs> beads of sweat. It's my band name. Uh, I have a little bit... I like it. <laughs> Uh, I have a little bit of uh, good news, and I'd like to kick it off with some schadenfreude. Schadenfreude! Okay, so uh, schadenfreude today. The estate and relatives of Tom Petty have filed a cease and desist to the Trump campaign for using his song ahead of the rally in Tulsa uh yesterday so that's pretty uh great and i'm glad to hear it and i love it like every time an artist prevents trump from using their song i think like an angel gets its wings so mm-hmm. i'm 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 really thrilled about that and in and this is a two for schadenfreude a pirated copy of bolton's book has been leaked on the internet it's available in pdf form all 600 boring snoozer pages uh, it's on a Google Drive, uh, and it's everywhere on social media. And there are whisperings that he may have to forfeit his $2 million book advance while the release is litigated in court. Oh. Womp womp. So uh, everyone, if you want to read it for free, um, again, it's real boring. We've we've already sort of brought you the highlights, and those will continue to come out. But it's available for free. Uh, and <sighs> I here's a little legal disclaimer. I didn't put this up this is not my uh, google drive this is not i don't own this uh it's been shared 
a million times before I uh, I got my hands on it. So absolutely, just putting that out there for everybody. <laughs> and uh, it's a little weird to download because so many people it's being flooded right now. But you can print it directly off your desktop. Although I recommend just downloading it to your reader, your e-reader, so that you can save some trees. Mm-hmm. He clearly just wants to make money, obviously. So why couldn't he have just fucking testified in front of Congress, gone out with the information when it would have helped fucking anything, and then just sold, like, mustache wax or something? He could have done... If you want to make... Yeah. Yeah, there's so many other things he could have done to make money. He had to fucking do it with this weaponizing of information in a manner that is far too little and too late. He could have come out and testified and then written a book called I Saved the Democracy. Right. mustache wins democracy saved or something that's that's so true and then and then have an have an epilogue on his mustache care just something that's (laughs) something that's helpful and timely that and swiping the title from lin-manuel miranda is extra fucking pissy to me but i mean the book is called the room where it happened and for john bolton to swipe that uh is Really shitty. Um, for so many reasons. You mean a white guy took something that wasn't his? What? Yeah, I know. That's crazy. But hopefully he won't make any money off of it. Uh, and I think Lin Manuel Miranda is probably doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fuck yeah, he is. <laughs> One of the best musicals in the history of the universe. Alexander um, Hamilton. That was so. Oh, remember when we saw that? Yes. In San Francisco. Do you remember oh, that person so next to us that wouldn't stop singing every word? My God! Yes, I egregious. Do, I do. <laughs> egregious. These are nine million dollar tickets to stop singing. And how did you afford to come here before and watch it? That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, seriously. Um. <laughs> so, what of the good news from our uh, listeners? All right. So we have so much good news. Kicking it off is from Kels pronouns they them theirs thank you kels for letting us know hi i'm kels i'm an able-bodied white non-binary pansexual person who was nominated to participate in a pride panel over zoom for my very large corporate company last week despite how humbling it was to be nominated i wasn't going to participate in any masturbatory corporate bullshit hell yeah i contacted the moderators Hmm. got the important details about the diversity of the panel and agreed as the only non-binary and white participant The moderators shared the questions for the call a few days in advance so we could all gather our thoughts. I won't bore you with a specific problematic, very gendered language of the original questions, but it was bad enough that I couldn't participate without bringing it up. Even though we had already connected and established rapport, my hands were shaking. I revised the questions and asked them to please consider my edits for the call. Their response was immediate and full of gratitude for the corrections and education. They asked if there was anything else they should ask or do, and I asked them to have everyone on the panel include their pronouns when they introduced themselves. They were already on the same page. Heart! Exclamation point. Sidebar. A few minutes before the call started, I was so nervous that I had to pee. I locked myself out of my office. Oh, God. I begged someone to pull the spare key while I ran to the bathroom, and as I was washing my hands and about to spin out, I just looked at myself in the mirror and was like, yep, this would happen. Stay humble. I made it back on time. I made a point to stay quiet, except to lift up or shine what others were saying. We talked about what it was like to come out, what pride means to us, how we give back to the community. It was lovely. When we arrived at the question about gender identity, he asked me to take everyone to school, and I was ready. I taught 288 of my coworkers all across the country, including corporate officers, the following. Uh, One, the difference between gender identity and sexuality. This was needed. 
Yes, it is. My God. The inability, <laughs> right? The inability for people to understand this or even it's, yeah, astounding. Number two, the importance of stating your pronouns often as a cisgender person and how it engages empathy. Three, tips on how to be an ally in good faith. Four, I let them know I still mess up my own pronouns sometimes. They're going to mess up and it's okay to mess up. I watch smiles break out on faces I've never met in that moment. Uh, next one. I got to publicly... I say next one because I've, I've lost count of numbers. <laughs> I can't. That's how bad my memory is. I can't retain. I can't retain what comes after three or if I'm on four. One. I, uh, next one. I got to I got to publicly thank my black trans elders for starting the modern queer movement against police brutality and that we carry their legacy forward today. Um, I named Rhea Milton, Remy Fells, and said that until there are no more black trans women being murdered, our fight and our work continues. Black trans lives matter. And finally, I got to thank the younger generation for finding the language to offer the nuance I needed in order to better know and understand myself. Before the call, a friend had said- Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before the call, a friend had said, someone listening on that call is not out yet. Talk to that person. She didn't know how right she would be. One of the panelists nervously read us something he had written for the call and ended his statement by saying, I'm gay, and I've never said those words out loud before. Y'all, we went nuts. We were all crying and sharing words of love and support. The chat was just scrolling with messages of the, of the like. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of, and I got paid to do it at my pillar of capitalism day job. Since I joined the company a year ago, I have been the only person I know of to include my pronouns in my email signature. The next day, I got an email from an officer of the company who now includes her pronouns in her email signature. It's just a seed of what could be to come, and there's still so much work to do, but if it's one thing i've learned in these last few years it's to allow yourself to feel joyfully in the moment happy pride month thank you so much kels that's wonderful so wonderful that is best that is a really really good scenario news. yes i fucking love that all yay Next up from James. James says, while my wife and I often feel a little guilty that we are so fortunate during these times, the quarantine has given us a chance to spend extra time with our one-year-old that we wouldn't have gotten in the before times. Although we're agreeing to blame any of his future issues on the quarantine, we've been smothering that cute little bastard with extra love. <laughs> uh, in addition, over the past year, I've been going through the process of donating my kidney to a close family friend. It was originally scheduled for April, but unfortunately got postponed because of COVID. I'm happy to say that yesterday I got my kidney out and it was successfully implanted in our friend. While I'm currently in a ton of pain and my roommate is a snorer, who uh, it feels good to be able to help and your podcasts have helped, especially in blocking out the snoring. James, my God. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're okay and that you were able to write a nice message a day after having a fucking organ removed from your body. That's incredible. And I'm so proud to know you. What an amazing gift. Yeah. Just what an amazing gift. Um, our listeners never cease to amaze me with, with their compassion and their willing to their willingness to give and, and oh, man. It's just amazing. Yeah. I got my friend a box of fudge last week. This guy's giving a right. kidney. I need to step up my mm -hmm. game. Yes. Yeah. That's um I had a friend that had kidney disease in high school and he had a really hard time finding a match and it was like it was brutal. He was on dialysis. We it was so sad, like it's you know, we'd like go hang out with him during dialysis sometimes and stuff, but certainly not most of the time at all. So much of the of his life was just spent just sitting 
in this dialysis center as a 17-year-old kid, you know, just having his blood cycled through and, and everything. And it was like, it's it was so brutal to watch. And he finally got a donor a couple years ago and he's doing amazing. So I know how big of a deal that is for there to be a match and for you to be able to give it to them and how profound that is. And that's, that's really, really beautiful and awesome. Um, yep. Here, here. Yes. Our next piece of good news comes from Becca. Becca says, hi ladies, this isn't quite my good news story, but something I thought you would appreciate. There's been a hashtag trending on Twitter, hashtag speaking out, which has been for women in our, uh, in or associated with the professional wrestling world, telling their stories of emotional, sexual, physical abuse from pro wrestlers and others around the industry. I've been anticipating this day ever since Me Too started. I'm in my early 30s now, but back in college, my social life was pro wrestling shows. One year, I went to over 70 shows. I was around a lot of wrestling and wrestlers. Being around that much testosterone, you see and hear a lot of shit. I was lucky enough to be considered one of the guys for for the most part, so I was almost never the recipient of unwanted advances. I was connected to the right people, but in hanging around those guys, I heard how they talked about other women around wrestling, despite having a girlfriend or wife at home. I feel blessed that I was somehow smart enough to know how dumb these men all were and to worry about myself first. Now, I'm six or so years removed from wrestling, and it's so sad to see this stuff was so prevalent, but wonderful to finally see women coming forward and speaking out and standing up for each other. Lots of names are being named, and not everyone deserves to be completely canceled, but it's a culture and industry that is way, way, way overdue for a reality check, and it's finally here. Thank you, Becca. The exact same thing is happening in stand-up comedy right now in the stand-up Yeah, sphere. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. We, we just put out a tweet like, hey, can we get a blue check mark? Or is that just for dudes who have podcasts that talk about forcing female comedians to give them blowjobs mm-hmm. before they get on stage? Yep. Is it, what's the, you know, what What do we got to do? Yep. Um, and Jordan and I, fortunately, uh, for me, I started comedy a little older. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't as much of a target, uh, but it's very prevalent and it happened several times. You so were still. You still dealt with so much yeah. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ass grabbing. I was told I wouldn't pass at the comedy store if I didn't do some stuff. Of course, that wasn't by anyone who worked at the comedy store, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but by other famous comedians who said that they would make it impossible for me to to uh, be anything if I didn't comply with whatever the fuck they were trying to make happen for themselves mm-hmm. with my vagina. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's excruciatingly prevalent. And I can't imagine it's got to, you know, I guess I can imagine what it must be like in pro wrestling or, or any of these entertainment um, sort of niches. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I totally get what you're saying, Becca, too, about not really being a target of it because you're sort of like you fit in with the guys. I definitely identify with that same thing. I've always been a person who has guy friends, you know, more so than girlfriends usually and and whatever mm-hmm. internalized patriarchal reasons that that is. Um, I I totally feel what you're saying and it's so uncomfortable because you hear them you hear them say shit and it's like it's so it's so gross and bad. It's just like, how do I even, how do I even begin to address this? Number one, and then number two, they make women work so hard for their approval, like you said, Ag, because they're the gatekeepers of so many industries that it makes speaking mm. out against them when you are considered part of the club that much harder. Because it's like, I work so hard to just get to a place where I'm respected and not a target of their sexual assault and advances. You know, like. 
what do I, wh- what do I do, what do I do here? And when you do speak out, you get punished and pariahed. That, that's, that's happened yeah. to all of us. We have stood up for women mm-hmm. and it fucking like ruined some relationships in the comedy scene for us that are like kind of important. Yeah, I didn't even like really open my mouth and, and say like directly what had happened until I was done trying to get uh, passed at certain clubs until I was like, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing podcasting now. I'm not trying to be a stand up. I don't need to get past here. I don't need to get past here. I'm going to go and talk to these to folks about some of the stuff that's happened. It was it was actually pretty well received. Um, uh, but I mean, you know, he just it's it's impossible to speak up. And, and, and I mean, it's not impossible. And I, I really have to like tip my hat to all the women who have done that and have, you know, because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And um and then you get blamed for not. It's just this whole terrible uh, cycle, but it it exists everywhere. And then we have this sort of additional uh, complicating factor of our sets, including jokes about sexualization mm-hmm. uh, and and how the irony of that can be lost on people, mm-hmm. you know, when when you get off stage and they're like, oh, so you're into this and that. <laughs> yes. And you're like, that is a fucking joke. Yes. And put take your hand off my ass you you comedian who makes 15 million dollars a year and leave me the fuck alone and you know i guess i was fortunate enough to be a little older so i didn't recognize a lot of these young hotshot comedians so i didn't care uh if because i would just be like take your fucking hand off my ass and then people would be like do you know who that was do you know who you just said that to and i'm like no because i don't know who comedians are even though i'm a comedian (laughs) (laughs) and so it's um I, I sort of lucked out in that in that way, but it's it's a tough thing. So thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. um that piece of good news yes. uh, that because that we do find when everyone does start to tell their stories, you feel so much less gaslit and so much less insane, and you and it's just that's really cathartic for a lot of folks. So yeah. wonderful, keep that keep that going. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right, and finally from Anonymous. Uh, Anonymous has pronouns she, her. Anonymous says, I'm a muralist. This is great. I love that people are doing this more. This is awesome. Please keep including your pronouns when you send in your good news. It was a great practice. Yeah, maybe we should put a little selecty thing. Yes. But I don't, then, I, then there, would be, there would be limits, though, and I don't right. want to put any maybe limits. Right, maybe just but... a free box that people can just type in. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... Anonymous says, I'm a muralist who has been invited to a mural festival in Tennessee called Walls for Women. The festival is celebrating the centennial of women's suffrage. Rather than bringing a ton of people from all over to one place, the festival is spread out all over the state of Tennessee with murals in several different towns. I just wanted to make that clear in the context of COVID-19 and to say that safety is front of mind for everyone. My work in the last few years has a strong feminist and anti-racist agenda. I've just completed the design for my mural, and I'm happy to report that I was able to include not just my usual feminist flavor by highlighting the accomplishments and contributions of some scrappy women from the town, but also honor a historical radical feminist, abolitionist, free love, utopianist who created a colony in Tennessee that freed slaves before emancipation. It also highlights the achievements of specific slaves and immigrants and includes imagery related to Eastern philosophy, mysticism, and witchcraft all while wrapped in an eye-catching package that everyone should be able to enjoy, even if they have no idea what it means. So, shh, don't tell anyone. I can't wait to paint the sucker and hopefully cast a spell of love, healing, and equality in the middle of rural Tennessee. 
that is that sounds oh. fucking incredible. When you're done, is there any way that we can see it or like if we need? Yeah, to- I need photos. Yes, you just checked all my boxes, really. Yes, witchcraft, racial justice, uh, feminist, uh, co. Like you just, yeah, you just checked all my boxes. Yes, yeah, definitely. Everybody, thank you so much for good news. Um, if you want to submit, go to our website, uh, com or the daily dailybeans.com. Is that what our website is? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, daily Beans. The Daily Beans. Po- you just search for it. You'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, when you go to our website, if you look in the top right-hand corner, there's a tab where you can submit your good news stuff. Um, so, so please keep doing that. And... Yeah, if you wouldn't mind until we have the logistical side of including a pronoun section, please include them for us when you sign. Yeah, feel free. Yeah. Feel free. Yes, feel free. That's a good way to put that. Feel free. Um, thank you. That's good news, everyone. Yeah, and and also uh, submit your quarantine confessions. This is normally where we would do our quarantine confession segment, but that segment got so wildly popular it is spun off into its own show that comes out on Saturdays for the public and comes out on Fridays currently ad free for patrons uh, and so you can submit also at quarantineconfessionspod.com again all goes to the same website so you can submit good news there quarantine confessions questions compliment sandwiches for corrections anything that you feel that we need to know about in here uh, we would love to hear from you and of course our DMs are always open if you need to vent or rant or just say whatever you you know what's on your whatever's on your mind um and so that is our show. Do you have any final thoughts, Jordan? Um, I do not. No. You d- I think you already had some. So <laughs> yeah. To be fair. I already had <laughs> enough <laughs> thoughts, I think, sprinkled throughout, <laughs> regardless of where they were on the timeline. <laughs> I'm all maxed out of my thoughts. Why do my thoughts have to be final? Why can't I put them wherever <laughs> I want? all right well anyway everyone please uh welcome to a new week and take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them's the beans the daily beans is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is amanda reader fact-checking and research by ag jordan coburn and amanda reader our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>